Hey, good morning. Welcome to Riverwood Church. All right. Hey, welcome if you are here. Uh, if you're watching online or listening online later, glad that you are tuning in. I think we've got a pretty exciting message this morning, and I think a lot of folks will be listening to it online later. Uh, so back in um, the spring, we asked you to write down questions on these Elephant in the Room cards and say, give us any questions that you have that you would like answered at Riverridge Church. Now, we did that again in August and added some more questions to it. And I will say this, I read through all three, 400 questions, how many there were, and you all did uh, a great job of asking good questions, but not all of you did. <laughs> there were some of you that decided, you know what, this is my opportunity to, to write some potshot questions at Riverridge Church, because I don't know if you're aware of this, but we have a policy that if questions come in on Connect cards that are anonymous... I don't ever see them. They just shred them before I ever see them because there's no way to respond. But some people did, like, we'll get questions like, why do you allow donut holes in the sanctuary? So I don't know why I can read tone of voice in a question, but I can. But, um, but there weren't very many of those, there, but there were a couple of those. So one of them that came was this. It says, uh, I come to church to worship, not get screamed at by blaring rock and roll, more like heavy metal. So I'm guessing that person is not here anymore. So we ain't answering that. Um, but so as I took all of the questions that came in and I, and I tried to sort them and put them into categories and, uh, and all this, and, and I would say probably 20 to 30% of them were around this question of judgmentalism and homosexuality. And so that's what we're talking about this, that, this, this morning. Um, it's not that I have some sort of pro-gay agenda or anti-gay agenda or anything like that, but it's something that you all have said, we want to know what the church thinks about this. We want to know what God's word thinks about this. We want to know, you know, a lot about this. And so um, I'd say there were probably, I don't know, I'd probably say 60, 70 questions on that. So I boiled it down to just eight questions, which are pretty um, representative of the questions that were asked. But here's some questions uh, that you all asked. Uh, if God only had two commandments love God, love people, why are Christians such judgmental jerks to homosexuals? Here's another question. Who am I to judge someone if they are gay and seek God? Here's another question. Can you be gay and Christian? Here's another question. What does the Bible say about same-sex marriage? Here's another question. How do you deal with a family member or a close friend who is a homosexual? How do you deal with that person? This is kind of related. It says, is all sin the same or are some sins worse? If Jesus didn't directly address homosexuality, is it wrong? And then, does God love everyone no matter their sexual orientation? Anybody want to take a stab at these? Okay, I'll do it. Um, so let's pray together. God, these are some heavy questions, some weighty questions. The elephant in the room around these questions is large and looming. And uh, God, I pray that you would give me the right words to say. Um, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak uh, to me and through me as we go forward this morning. Um, God, I thank you for those things and those insights uh, that you've led me to this week. And God, I pray that I would deliver what you want me to say this morning. Uh, and Lord, I also pray that you would speak to hearts personally and show us the places that we need to adjust ourselves to align with you and who you are. I ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So on any given Sunday at River Ridge, we have people who are new. Some of you are probably, this is your first time ever at River Ridge, or maybe it's your second or third time. And so whenever I prepare a message, I always kind of have that in the back of my mind, like somebody coming for the first time, what are they going to think? How are they going to respond to the message or to the church service as a whole? And this is one of those ones where I almost want to go, okay, if this is your first time, you have to leave now. But I'm not going to do that. Um, Because it's like, man, this is a really heavy, weighty issue. And I don't know that I want this to be someone's first, like, went to River Ridge for the first time, and this is what they talked about. I'm not sure that I want that. But then I got to thinking a little bit. I thought, you know what? Maybe the opposite is true. Maybe this is a great first or second message to hear from River Ridge Church for, for this reason. If you, let's say you want to get to know a family. Let's say you want to get to know the Santon family. You want to say, what are they really like? You know, and you could kind of be a fly on the wall and you could watch us on vacation. You know, every family is like, we all have fun on vacation. It's the beach, it's water, it's eating out. You know, you look at any family like, man, they're doing great. Family stuff, is that looks like a fun family. You wouldn't learn a whole lot about our family watching us on vacation. However, if you could be a fly on the wall in a family or our family when somebody didn't put away the dishes from the night before or when the milk has been left on the counter all night long or the house is a wreck and there's guests coming over in 15 minutes, you would have a lot better idea of how we were and what we were as a family. I think the same is true of a church. If you're here new or relatively new, you're going, how is this church how do they deal with a difficult issue like this? And I think you'll learn something about who we are as a church as we dive into this difficult, large elephant. You know, this question about judgmentalism and homosexuality, it is not an easy question. Um, But it's also not a theoretical question for the vast majority of us. This is not a hypothetical question for most of us. It is a real-life question because maybe you're struggling with same-sex attraction. Maybe you have that. You're attracted to the same gender. But probably every one of us in this room knows somebody who is gay, knows somebody who is like that. And so it's not a theoretical, hypothetical type of thing. My sister, who's older than I am, she uh, has been in a relationship with a woman for longer than I have been married to Stacy. And then four years ago, my sister married this woman. You know, so this is not like, gosh, if I knew a gay person, what would I say? Like most of us in this room are acquainted and have a very close friend. You know, there are people in this church that I've had conversations with who have same-sex attraction and having those conversations. And so this is not theoretical for any of us. This is a real-life issue that all of us face and are trying to wrestle through. How do we deal with this? You know, sometimes people will say to me, where does Riveridge stand when it comes to homosexuality? Where does Riveridge stand? Where do you stand? And, and I get that question. I understand what that means. But to be honest, I don't love that question. Because as I look at the life of Jesus, you know, Jesus wasn't standing for issues or standing against issues. Jesus, where do you stand on taxes? Jesus, where do you stand on the Roman occupation? Jesus, where do you stand on the Pharisees? Jesus didn't stand for or against things. Jesus sat with people. He sat with tax collectors. He sat with the Pharisees. He sat with Roman officials. He sat and he heard their stories. And he loved them and he cared for them and he spoke truth to them and he comforted them and he confronted them when it was necessary. Jesus sat and had conversations 
with people. And so my hope is that this morning is a conversation. About two weeks ago, uh, I went out for coffee, although I didn't drink coffee, but I went for coffee uh, with a friend of mine who goes here who is wrestling with homosexuality. And we had a discussion, and it was a conversation that was built around a foundation of love and of care and respect. And so my hope is that that's what this morning will be. It will be a conversation. And I've even kind of done the outline in a question, and then I'll kind of give an answer to it based on what the Bible says as we work through these four questions. You know, this topic um, of judgmentalism and homosexuality uh, is a topic that is much more far-reaching than just an isolated silo type of deal. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about at River Ridge fairly frequently is this. We talk about this idea that we are here to help people take next steps in their journey with God. That's why we exist, helping people take next steps in their journey with God. And what this topic brings up is all sorts of tentacles into lots of different really key important issues. And so we're going to talk about homosexuality, we're going to talk about judgmentalism, but it's also going to raise some bigger questions for us. It's going to raise questions like, what does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love people? It's going to bring up the question of, what is your view of the Bible? And what do you do if you disagree with what the Bible says? It brings up the question of, what is essential for salvation? What are the essential ingredients, the essential parts of salvation? brings up the question for some of what is your view of God? And I talked about this last week as I introduced kind of these middle three sermons. It brings up this question of what is your view of God? If God is like this, then I want to be closer to him. But if God is like that, then I think I want to back away a little bit. brings up the question of what does it mean to have grace? What does it mean to live in God's grace? It also brings up a question of what does it mean to be unified in the body of Christ? So it brings up all of these different questions. It touches on these as we talk about our, all of our journeys forward with God. So here's the first question in the conversation. Are Christians to judge? Now, one would initially think, well, that's an easy, easy question, easy answer. No, Christians aren't to judge. But it's actually not that simple because it depends on what you mean by judge, and it depends on the people that we're talking about judging. So let's look at a couple of scriptures together. This is what Jesus says. This is Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. So the judgment that Jesus is talking about there, he's talking about judging between somebody going to heaven and somebody going to hell. And he says that that judgment is not for people to make. That you're not to say to somebody, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven, but you're going to heaven, but you're going to hell. He says that we're not to make those judgments, that that is reserved for God. John 12, 48 puts it this way. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So judgment in terms of heaven or hell is left up to God. But there's another type of judgment. There's a differentiation that the Bible makes between judging those outside the church and judging those inside the church, judging those outside the church versus judging those who claim to be or say that they are believers in Christ. And Paul addresses it uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. And he writes these words, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? 
Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So he says, what have, what have I, Paul, as a person, said, what have I to do with judging outsiders, those who don't claim to be part of the family of God? Do I have any role in judging them? And he says, no, not at all. But then he says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? See, he's leading to this idea that we within the church have a responsibility to judge those inside the church, not judge in a judgmental way or in a condemnation way or an angry way, but to judge in the sense of pointing out sin when sin is prevalent. And the situation in the church in Corinth that Paul is addressing is that there was this widespread sin that everybody was ignoring. They were just going to worship services and praying and taking communion and listening to sermons and meeting together and fellowship at homes, and everybody was just ignoring this elephant in the room, essentially. And Paul says, you need to talk about this. You need to confront sin when it's present in your body, in your body of Christ. You know, that question that, that somebody asks, why are Christians such judgmental jerks? The reason that Christians are oftentimes judgmental jerks is because Christians will judge those outside the church. Say, well, you're, you shouldn't be doing this. And, and you see, the thing is, when we are in the family of God, when you said, yes, I want to be in the family of God, you at that point said, I want to follow God and God's ways. And that's what you do, right? Because you've made that choice. But we are not to look at those who haven't made that decision and say, you need to live this way. You need to follow the morality that I have because I'm a Christian and I'm in the church and you need to follow that. That's why Christians come across as judgmental jerks because they put it on somebody else. The other reason that Christians often come across as judgmental jerks is because we don't talk to insiders. We don't talk to other people in the family of God in the right way. That we talk about sin with condemnation and judgment and anger and all those types of things. We don't follow what God says about how do we talk about sin within the church. This is how we're to talk about sin within the church. It says, brothers, okay, so we know he's talking to the church. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness, a spirit of love. And so as we have conversations with those inside the church about sin, it's not to be with anger, it's not to be with condemnation, it's not to be with superiority, it's not to be with pride, it is to be with gentleness. There's a great phrase that I heard uh, recently, I wish I could claim this as my own. You know, a lot of times people will say, love the sinner, hate the sin, but I think there's a better expression. It's love the sinner hate your own sin. Love the sinner, hate your own sin. As we look at this, we say we're to talk to people and restore them in a spirit of gentleness, of love towards them, but not pride, not self-righteousness, because we have this figured out and they don't. So it takes us to this next question. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to love? You know, Christians disagree you know, all across the world, all across the globe, all across Charleston, all across River Ridge, about lots of different things. But probably the thing that all Christians agree on, maybe the most, is that Jesus was the embodiment of love. Jesus was the embodiment of love. And so if we can figure out what Jesus did and love like him, then we're going to be doing well. So this is what's written about Jesus. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. 
It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And it's those last three words that I want us to see and focus on, full of grace and truth. That Jesus, whenever he spoke, he was fully full of grace and fully full of truth. Fully grace, fully truth. And so for us, when we love people, it needs to be 100% grace and 100% truth. It's not like we go, well, this conversation I'm going to have grace, and the next conversation I'm going to have truth, and today I'm going to have grace, and tomorrow I'm going to have truth. No, those two things, it's not a tension between grace and truth. It is fully grace and fully truth. And when those things are all together, as they were in Jesus, that is fully love. But unfortunately, what we do is we think that love and affirming are synonyms. We go, if I love somebody, then I need to affirm what they do. But Jesus talks about this idea of speaking the truth in love. In other words, love does not equal affirming somebody and what they do. I'll give you an example from my own life. Um, a while back, I was cleaning out our house, uh, doing a little house cleanup, and we have a television, uh, and, on, and that TV sits on a big blue chest, right? And so I moved the chest to clean behind the TV, and I find this mess back there. And so I, I have a pretty good idea of which of my children did this, but I mean, you look at that, it's like, there's a dirty sock back there. There's all kinds of granola wrappers, a tennis ball. There's a, a plate, a Lara bar. And of course, in any River Ridge family of any consequence, there's a River Ridge pen back there on the right, right? And so, I mean, it's just, it is nasty. And so I, I go and talk to this, I could say child, but we all know it's not Emily. So I, it's, it was one of my three sons. We'll let him uh, remain anonymous. Um, but I went to this child, him, and I said, look, son, you can't put all your trash back there. You need to use a wastebasket, empty the wastebasket, um, and you are no longer allowed to eat in the TV room where this is. So that was his, his punishment. Um, you know, that was love. That was full of grace, that was full of truth, and it was love. But what it was not was it was not affirming. I didn't say, you know what, you go ahead and eat whatever you want. You throw your wrappers wherever you want. The mice and the rats, and they need to eat too. It just, you go for it. Way to go, buddy. You know, I love the way that you're putting trash around the house. I didn't do that, right? I said, we can't do this. This is not the way we're going to live in the Santon household. Now, again, insiders, outsiders, you know, if somebody comes in from the outside and they live a little trash around, I'm not going to ban them from eating in our house, Right? But he's a part of our family, so he needs to live under the Santon rules, if you will. Now, I want to take it a step further. This part is, this, in the past, that's all true. This is now fiction going forward. But let's suppose that this son of mine, you know, I told him this, and he goes on and he continues to eat Lara bars and granola bars and leave his dishes in there and his dirty socks all over the place, right? If he continued to do that, I would not kick him out of my house. I wouldn't say, son, you are no longer my son if you're going to keep doing that. I wouldn't do that. I would, I would continue to love him and care for him. I would continue to speak truth to him. But because he did this thing, it would not, he would not cease to be my child. And so we talk about in the sense 
of when we look at what does it mean to love people, to love people unconditionally means that we love them even if they don't align with how we think they should act or even with how God thinks they should act. We continue to love them in truth and in grace. So here's the next question. This is the big one. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? So we read this, and I'm actually going to start in Matthew uh, chapter 19. And this is Jesus speaking, uh, and he's speaking about uh, uh, heterosexuality and marriage. It says, He created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. So that is God's statement on marriage, that, and that is God's statement on sex, is that sex is to occur only within the bounds of marriage between a man and a wife. Now, if you have same-sex attraction, you're not going to like that verse very much. But you know what? If you have heterosexual attraction, you're also not going to like that verse very much. Because like I heard that when I was in high school, and I'm like, I don't really like that too much. And then I got to college, and like, my college was like the den of iniquity. I mean, like it was sex, sex everywhere. I mean, it was, we had co-ed bathrooms. That's how crazy my college was, right? And so it's like, I don't really like that when I was in college because it was everywhere around me. And then I started to date Stacy, and I was very attracted to Stacy, and I didn't like that sex was supposed to be confined to marriage. But the fact that I didn't like it doesn't make a difference. It's what God says, so that's what God says about marriage and sex. I want to uh, look at, there's three places in the New Testament that homosexuality is talked about. So we're going to look at uh, two of them, and then I'll give you the reference for the third if you want to look it up later on your own. So this is uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. This is Paul writing, and he says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So I want to pause right there. He says, We know that the law is good. So what he's talking about there, he says, everything in the Bible is for your benefit. Everything in the Bible is for your blessing. It either keeps you from something or it keeps you connected to God. He says, everything in here is good. You know, we talk sometimes at River Ridge, a verse that we often quote, John 10, 10, which says, uh, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. Or I have come that you might have abundant life, Right? God gave us the law so that when we live inside the boundaries that God gives us, that's where life is found. That's where abundant life is found. And when we live outside of those boundaries, then it harms relationship. It harms our relationship with God, or it harms our relationship with ourselves, or it harms our relationship with other people. And he says, the law is good. And then continuing on, he says this, understanding this, that the law is good, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Here's what I want us to see in this passage. I want us to see a couple things, and these are both incredibly important. The first is this. 
In verse 10, it says, men who practice homosexuality. And I want us to understand that there is a difference between same-sex attraction and same-sex sex or same-sex action. In other words, both this place and the place we're going to look at say it is the act of sex with another person of the same sex that is the sin. The attraction is not the sin. And it's this type of thing where we, we can be tempted, but it's a question of do we follow through on it? You know, we can be tempted to be angry, right, or to lash on our anger, but it becomes sin when we act on it. But here's the other thing, and this is probably the bigger thing that I want us to see here, is if you look at this list that Paul writes, just about every one of us in this room, and probably every one of us in this room, have fallen short in one or more of these areas. I mean, you look at this list, it says that unholy, has anybody ever been unholy in here? Profane, has anybody ever used profane language in here? says the sexually immoral. Have people in here had sex outside of marriage? Liars. And then included with that is those who practice homosexuality. You see, here's what I want us to understand. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, is that our job is to love the sinner but hate our own sin. Because it's a lot easier to look at this passage and say, yep, they sin, they sin, they sin. Yep, those people do that instead of using this as a mirror. Because we're tempted to kind of take out a magnifying glass and go, oh, look at that sin, look at that sin. But what this says is we need to use it as a mirror and say, do I sin in my own life? And I, and I can say this um, pretty without hesitation. That is, I hear what goes on at Riverridge Church and a lot of things come back to me via email or people say stuff or people tell me stuff. I can tell you this for an absolute fact, that at Riverridge Church, we have a much bigger problem with heterosexual immorality than we do with homosexual immorality. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that we look at our own sin instead of looking at other people's sin. Here's the second place that homosexuality is addressed. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says this. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So people will ask the question, can someone who is gay go to heaven? Can someone who is a homosexual go to heaven? Because it says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we can answer that question, perhaps by ourselves, by putting some of the other words in here. So what if I ask the question, can you be sexually immoral and still go to heaven, right? Or we could say, can you lie and still go to heaven? Can you be greedy and still go to heaven? You know, because greed is whenever you spend something on yourself instead of giving to someone who needs it more. Has anybody ever done that to people who are greedy go to heaven? It says in here, the drunkard will not inherit eternal life. So does that mean all drunks, anybody who's drunk will not inherit eternal life? 
I tell you what, I sure hope that's not true because I was at the WVU game yesterday and there's about 63,000 people that have no chance. Right? But listen to what it says next. It says this. It says, And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. It says that you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified by the Spirit of God. That none of us are saved based on our own merit. None of us are saved because we have avoided sin enough. All of us are saved because we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But we still look at this, and we need to wrestle and realize the fact that these things, while they don't keep somebody from heaven, they are in fact sin. That I need to look at this list and say, am I greedy? Am I sexually immoral with what I look at? Am I, and we need to say, I need to repent of that and move towards what God would have me do. There's one more verse um, that we're not going to look at this morning. This is uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 22. You can jot this down and look at it on your own um, in the New Testament that also uh, speaks to this. So then we come to our fourth question, which is this, is what is our response? What is our response? You know, I want our first response to be that of unity, I realize that if we polled everybody in here, that everybody would have a little bit nuance of a difference of what their take on this is. But my goal and my prayer this whole week is that we would have unity. That doesn't mean that we're going to agree. I think agreement is optional, but I think unity and love is essential. Unity and love is required. Now, as you have conversations with people, and maybe you've received this question yourself, people have asked this to me and say, who are you to say that people can't love and marry who they want to marry? And my response to that is, I'm not. This is what God says. This is not Matt's opinion. This is not River Ridge's church's opinion. This is not Paul's opinion. Or This is God's word on this. Now, as you hear that, I know that there are some of you who have this kind of inner dialogue going on, and you're going, you know, I just don't agree. I just don't agree with that. You know, I don't see why God would say no to that. If that's who you love, if that's the attraction that you have. You know, and the fact is, when it comes to God's word and God's commandments, we don't always know why God says do this or don't do that. You know, we don't always know. We don't always agree. We don't always necessarily even like it. But that's kind of inconsequential because our job, our role as being children of God in the family of God is that we obey what God says as best that we can. Now, you may look at this and say, well, I don't think God has a problem with it. I think it was Paul that had a problem with it. You can say, well, you know, Paul was just, he was biased by his culture. If he wrote in 2019, he wouldn't write that because he wouldn't be so biased by his culture, which was, you know, the way his culture was. But here's the problem with that, and it goes to what is your view of the Bible? Because you know, if, if we say, well, you know, Paul got it wrong. Well, if Paul got this wrong, then did he also 
get wrong sexual immorality is outside of God's bounds? Did he also get wrong that greed is outside of God's bounds? Did he also get wrong and gossip is okay? Or maybe we don't have to flee temptation? Or, and, and this is the biggest one, if we go and say, well, Paul got it wrong, do we then go, well, Paul maybe also got it wrong when he talked about salvation. Paul also got it wrong when he said there's a way that leads to the righteousness of God that is not through the law, but it's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's a very, very slippery slope to say, well, Paul got it wrong. And that's why I said this, this kind of reaches out to a bunch of different tentacles in terms of what we believe and the way that we think. Because, you know, you look at the Bible and say, well, was Matthew writing under the inspiration of God? Was John writing under the inspiration of God? Was James? Was Luke? Or were they just writing their own opinions? Because if they were just writing their own opinions, then we can totally pick and choose what we like from here and pitch the rest. You know, sometimes people ask the question this way. Are people born gay? Is there a gay gene? And that's been debated, and you know, scholars and people have all kinds of thoughts. Is it nurture or nature? And I don't know the answer to that. I'm not going to claim to know the answer to that. I do know this, that as I have sat and had conversations with people who are attracted to the same sex, it does not seem like it's something that they chose. It was something in their nurture or their nature that, that they are. You know, and most, a lot that I know say, if I could flip a switch and, and be the other way, I, I would. But here's the thing is, to people who have same-sex attraction say, I have this attraction, I have this desire, what am I to do with it? And here's the thing is, no matter how people get that orientation, again, nurture or nature, I, I don't know, I'm not trying to figure that out, but here's what I do know, is that all of us have a predisposition to sin, for some, it's same-sex attraction. For some, it's anger. For some, it's people that just want to have sex with a lot of people. For some, it's a predisposition to gossip or to get drunk or to have lots of material possessions or to lie or fill in the blank for your own love the sinner, hate your own sin. We all have this predisposition. But just because we have a predisposition to sin doesn't mean that we're given license to act on it. This is what James writes. This is James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he was lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, if you're here this morning and you struggle with same-sex attraction, or you're here this morning and you struggle with that's-not-my-wife attraction, the, the application is the same, is that we say no to sin that we might honor God. I want to close with these words. You know, if you're here this morning and you have same-sex attraction, I want you to know that you're welcome here. I want you to know that this is a place for people who are on a journey with God. And my prayer for you is that you would be open to what God would say to you and speak to you through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. But I would also say that to all of us, that this is a place for people who are on their journey with God. And if you feel like, you know, I've arrived and I'm not changing what I think or believe or the faith that I have, 
this is not the place for you. This is a place where we say, I am on a journey with God, and I am continuing to learn what God has for me. And you know, it's interesting, as I, as I look back to my life 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there are things that I did back then that I didn't think were sin. I justified it, or I glossed over it, or maybe I didn't know. And now I look back, and I look at things 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I say, that was sin. And the same is probably going to be true 10 or 15 years in the future, that I'm going to look back on 2019, and I'm going to realize some things that I did or said or thought that right now I don't think they're sin, but God will reveal it to me that it is sin, and that I need to deal with that. And I would say the same no matter what sin you struggle with. Or maybe you go, I know the Bible says it's not a sin, but I'm not quite there yet. My challenge to you would be to be open to what God speaks to you and to be faithful to the scriptures and say, I'm going to do the best that I can to align my thinking to what God says and to align my life to what God says. And I tell you, that's not easy. It takes a whole lot of grace to carry all of us through that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we had this opportunity to talk about this challenging subject. And God, I pray that you would keep us unified as a church. I pray that you would give us grace as a church and give us truth as a church. And God, that we, as we move forward, would love people well in grace and truth and also look at our own lives and say, I'm no better than anybody else. I am a sinner who is forgiven by Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk as closely as I can with him. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.